Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Major League Rugby Rant Podcast Show with your hosts, Ty Braga, Scott Ferrara, and Rob Hammerschmidt, who tackle the tough topics relating to Major League Rugby in the US and Canada. This is your premier source of information. You are listening to the Major League Rugby Rant Podcast Show. Welcome, everybody, here today to our first inaugural session of what we call the MLR Rant. Joining me here today, we have Scott all the way from uh, Rooney. That'll be New York, of course, as you know. We have Rob Hammerschmidt from Hammerschmidt TV. What is it that you call it? Remind me again. It's uh, simple. It's Hammer Rugby. Hammer Rugby, of course. And then uh, the famous and forever famous, the voice, Dallin Stanford. So that makes up our gang here today. And uh, we're here to be able to talk about what we know and love is Major League Rugby. So, of course, guys, I wanted to be able to just jump in and make it, of course, very clear that we're here to be able to talk about what's the trending news. And right at the top of the list, we have the exit of the Colorado Raptors from Major League Rugby, of course, right? So I know I'd like to be able to start off by handing the mic, so to speak, over to Dallin. Now, for those of you who are not familiar, Dallin's come with a great amount of experience. He's a previous USA Sevens player. Uh, and he's also been heavily involved with Rugby Town USA from as far back as I think 2012. Is that right, Dallin? That's right, Ty. Yeah, so, so, so basically I'll take it from there, Ty. The, the Raptors are close to my heart. They're a wonderful organization. Started in 2007 when they built Infinity Park, way ahead of any other uh, rugby community. And I think that was the biggest thing I noticed coming from South Africa. Instead of having a clubhouse, uh, you would just change on the side of the field and play your game and then go to a local bar perhaps to to have your post meal and, and drink. But the uh, mayor of, of Glendale, Mike Dunifin, had a vision for creating a, a safe space for everybody to come together in the community to enjoy uh, one of his favorite sports uh, in rugby, being a former player himself. So since then, 2007, they've had a women's team, a men's team, uh, a lot of youth leagues and hosted a tremendous amount of tournaments over the years. Their core focus is making a difference in their community and they, and they do just that. With Major League Rugby coming along in the last few years, while that was an exciting prospect for them to get involved and they were amongst the early conversations to get a professional league going, I think the financial cost thereof the, the direction which they weren't uh, so happy with, they, I think they're going to go back to focusing on their core goals, uh, which is developing players uh, and, and doing a bit more for their community as opposed to focusing on, on just one professional side. You know? So that's my initial two cents worth. Excellent. You know, that experience is invaluable to be able to kind of understand the rugby landscape, where we come from, where we are, and hopefully give us an idea of what the future may bring as well. Um, but I know one of the key things that people are asking about right now and curious, uh, especially in the MLR fan zone group, is why? Why is the Raptors not a part of MLR, right? 
Yeah, so so again, and, and that's a great point. So let's first go into the infrastructure. What I will say they've done a brilliant job is they own their own production facility built into the stadium. We know that is very expensive for the other teams to get involved that way. Um, they have a big jumbo screen. They Obviously, for them, the finances aren't, aren't the issue per se. They even had an under-20 league they started the year before to develop younger American players to come through their system, and they believe heavily in that. And when I say American players, they could be players with funny accents like myself but have chosen America to be their new home and the Eagles and the U.S. rugby side to be their new national side. And so that's a clear difference. For them to compete in major league rugby, they to keep the standards high enough, they would have to pull in you know uh, international stars, which they have, and you know, while that is great for the league and the league needs that, the league needs the star power, needs big names. I don't, I think for them, it just became a bit too much to stick with 10 players uh, out of the 15 starters could be international uh, uh, foreign players that could represent other countries. And I think for them, the tipping kind of came in the last year or so, because there were rumors at the end of last year that they were thinking about this. And I think as, as the season progressed, um, the city felt potentially, and again, I, I don't know the inner workings, uh, their conversations with the league, they felt they, their resource would be better suited in other ways. Yeah, you know, you bring up a great point is because the resources aren't unlimited in rugby at the moment. I mean, we'd love to be able to say that it is, right? We'd love to be able to pay the salaries of the premiership and the top 14, but it's just not realistic. So we got to think small and we got to try and, you know, take it one step at a time in rugby in the US before, you know, walk before we run scenario. Uh, I know, Scott, you had heard rumors about the exit of MLR, sorry, the uh, Raptors from the MLR back in December, I think it was, right? Yeah. Um- we, there, there were rumors. Um, it wasn't substantial, anything to, to speak of. Um, I know we had um, Matt McCarthy from Rugby Wrap-Up kind of throw that out there before there was an official statement from Colorado. And there was actually some fans who, who kind of got angry with the way he did it. But I got to be honest, that's Matt McCarthy, is, as you guys know, has the standing in the MLR such as Dallin where he's one of those guys who knows everything about everything. And I think he just wanted to get that information out there because he did have it dead to rights. Um, did he jump the gun a little? Probably um, based upon the Raptors having to put out that statement and then clarifying it with their interview um, on local television. Yes. But I do think it was something we needed to know because there was last year before the, the start of last season, there was all this confusion. There was all these rumors running, running around and they clarified it by saying we're committed to 2020. And now that 2020 was technically over, why wait on it? Pretty much, it was my point. Why, if, why hold on to it to the beginning of 2021, where now it becomes a, another thing? Um, so, I actually think rugby wrap up pushing it out there helped the fans understand what was going on for the future of the MLR. And, and doesn't it help the MLR too, in the sense that now they can prepare a little bit sooner for the changes uh, that will come in 2021? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think. Where they are at the moment, like you say, Scott, is that the timing probably wasn't what they had would have wanted uh, for the news to be broken, um, where the Raptors, of course, might have perhaps had a different plan in mind. Maybe the MLR had a different plan in mind as well, um, because, of course, it's a delicate situation when it comes to fan confidence and sponsor confidence, too. So, I mean, I don't know if either, you know, any one of you guys had thoughts in that regard. Um, about fan confidence. I mean, I think for me personally, uh, the league is growing. It's growing year after year. I think that they're onto something. You know, there was a comment from the fan zone group earlier today that had mentioned that, oh, they wish they could see it get off the ground now and find some stability. Uh, you know, I could argue that it has found that. 
You know, it's already gone from a format that we had very few teams to start. It's steadily growing. There's more investors. There's more TV rights coming. So, you know, it's interesting to be able to see that growth year on year on year. So does this or perhaps open up for more to come now that the Raptors are out? Well, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm a little surprised with some of the rumors that were coming out and perhaps what we now know is um, not dissension, but some disagreement and vision about oh, that amongst the ownership that the MLR didn't plan for this a little bit. You know, uh, knowing well ahead that they had two teams coming in next year, which we'll get to later, um, the fact that they couldn't have planned for this exit. And yes, it might have been pushed up by COVID-19 and uh, accelerated the process, but uh, there, that there wasn't more of a transitional plan amongst the league. Because quite frankly, for my perspective, um, this issue uh, and, there, and, and, and Colorado uh, leaving the league isn't about a, a, a financial a financial issue. I mean, yes, they, they saw their finances being spent differently, but it wasn't because they were losing money and therefore they needed to get turn tail and get out. This is just about a philosophical difference about how to spend money. And yeah, so, I think that's a really great point to bring up there. And you, you hit the nail on the head. This isn't a money issue. And I right. think you have to understand that. It's a right. mission statement issue. It's a fundamental issue on right. leagues going in one direction. We don't feel that's the direction we want to be. And unfortunately, right. I think the perception here is is different. I think the perception is poor because people see it as a loss or a failure on behalf of the league when, in fact, it's not. No, I mean, these are growing pains, a part of a young right. league. I'm sure we can all agree there. Um, I mean, I know, Dallin, we had a conversation before this, and you had spoken about the influence of, of you know, league uh, uh, or teams growing and the growing pains of the league, and you brought up an example about Major League Soccer. Um, can you elaborate on that quickly? I know you spoke about how some had come and gone, and, you know. Yes, a great point. And so I think when when this this second reiteration of Pro Rugby came about, because remember the first one was one owner, um, it, several teams, and it failed pretty early on. And the reason why it failed was because one person had too much of a say. And if, if that, you know, it's, if certain decisions were made that weren't great, then the league would collapse. So I do like the franchise model and I do like different owners and that sort of thing. And that is based on the Major League Soccer model. And so the interesting thing is if you go back and look at Major League Soccer, when it started in, in about 96, they, they had um, a, a huge financial drain on their owners and their group in the first six years. Two teams dropped out in the early stages. And now you know, years later, they have 26 uh, 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 teams looking to expand to 30 in the next couple in the next couple of years. And they're doing financially brilliantly. They initially played in empty stadiums. They now average about 20,000 fans a game. So if you just look at that trajectory, I think people need to be patient, understand that these things are going to happen. There, I'm sure there will be more teams that will pull out and leave, but there'll be many more that are queuing in uh, and they want to make this a success. The fact that we are even through this difficult period, we'll be playing a fourth season is fantastic and, and the sky is going to be the limit. Well, rugby fans, once again, thank you for all the support you've given us here at the MLR Rants Podcast Show. So please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel, hit the bell icon for notifications or follow us on social media. This has been presented by the MLR Fan Zone. Yeah, you bring up an excellent point, which is patience, right? I mean, it's... Seldom uh, is the case that, you know, rugby fans or any fans are patient. Uh, they want results right away. And uh, we have to be able to understand we've got to walk before we run. I mean, I think the slow and steady approach is key to building the league. Uh, is it exciting to be able to see these teams come up? You know, is it 
the hot topic. I mean, I just know from my own, you know, experience in the fan zone group, when we talk about expansion teams, it probably gets the highest engagement. Mm-hmm. We have to understand is that many teams as we are going to be getting, and there are, I'm sure, already a short list of other teams to come beyond 2021, but we may lose a few along the way as well. And I think people have to temper their expectations currently about how many people are going to show up. We all know it because we're kind of in the rugby scene. Maybe the casual fan doesn't know it. If you are playing for a, a club team, when are your matches? Mostly Saturdays. MLR has now realized that maybe scheduling matches on Saturdays isn't the best idea because you're losing a lot of your fan base who has to either travel somewhere or go to a home pitch, play a match, and then try and commute to another match to see a professional level match is not in the cards for some people. So I think that has to go out to some of the newer fans who don't understand that too. I do yeah. want to say one point, sorry to interrupt there, because um, mm-hmm. I know that there were a lot of comments, you know, about the fans from the Raptors who were disappointed. And I, and I totally get that. You have the Raptors kit. Um, someone even put a photo up. They just received their shirts and that, and that, you know, that is obviously not great uh, for them because they want their team to be in the highest level competing. At the same time, I will say the Rugby Town USA will continue to host events, many more events. And so and we were talking earlier about this. They were way busier in years gone by hosting anything from youth rugby all the way to national championships, um, Rugby Town 7s, and a ton of other things, which involves more of the community and involves more and different age range. They have a very successful WPL women's side. And so those kind of things will still happen at Affinity Park. Yeah. So the fans there will have a ton of rugby and a ton of events coming up. And hopefully, uh, Ty, you and I will be there uh, in August, at the end of August for Rugby Town 7s. So the sport will continue there, obviously not in the shape that, that the, some of the fans would like to see in Major League Rugby. Yeah. I'd love to be able to add to that for a moment. I mean, talking about you know, Rugby Town USA, as you so rightly pointed out before, is that they have been doing great things for a long time in rugby. And a large part of that focus of them leaving is a return to core values, which is to grow the talent in the U.S. And that's, of course, becoming more of a hot topic as the seasons progress in the MLR because of how many players are from outside the U.S. or at least are not eligible to play for the U.S. But, you know, talking about that point, you know, the history that they have in in rugby, I have a couple of things that I wrote down that I thought people might find interesting about how many great players have actually come through Rugby Town, through those academies, Glendale Merlins. I mean, of course, Dallin, you know this, and I'm sure many of our viewers will too. Um, But the important thing to recognize is that Denver and Colorado will not go without rugby. They are going to continue having good rugby played by great uh, players across the board from young all the way through until they become professionals, whether it be at a USA level or be joining an MLR team. They're still very much trying to be a part of that pathway, which is the important point. But some names that are, you know, that have come up, you've got... uh, uh, Malifa brothers, um, you know, one of which Nisei played for uh, the 2007 Eagles uh, World Cup rugby campaign. Atta Malifa for, of course, the Raptors. He's, a, you know, a, a born and bred player, so to speak, through through their channels. Um, he briefly had a time with the USA Eagles as well. Uh, then you've got um, Nick Johnson. That's going back to the 2011 USA rugby campaign. Those are the higher. And then, as you so rightly pointed out as well, there's a great and very successful women's team uh, as well for the rugby there. And they have on record five uh, players from that have come through uh, the uh, Den- uh, sorry Glendale operation that have actually risen to the level to play nationally for the USA. And in fact, next year is, is 
I don't think it's yet listed on their event setup from what I saw from uh, Glendale and Rugby Town USA, but I believe they are hosting two of the legs of the women's HSBC sevens uh, in 2021. So there's going to be a lot of rugby coming there. There's going to be a lot of activity. You're still going to be able to see some great talent coming to play there and coming out of there. That's right, Ty. So there should actually be one leg of the series because uh, each – the, the countries have, okay. they can host one, you're right. And, and, and Glendale have hosted the, the most recent uh, US version for the women. Uh, in fact, and the Eagles won that one, which was fantastic to see. Uh, uh, they'll do that again if things are okay. You know, the full time period of October is when it's earmarked. Um, but, but saying that, the Eagles, your list actually should be a couple of pages long, I will say. Yeah, because sure. You've got Zach Fanolio, Chad London. You've got uh, uh, hundreds of players that have come through back in the day. But what you bring up is a vital point is that they have been developing those players for both men and the women and also in the sevens game as well. We forget that you would talk about to be the best, you've got to play against the best, right? Well, Mike Friday, when he took over with the U.S. national men's side for sevens, said, listen, why don't we have any quality tournaments within the country. Now, the national championship's a quality tournament. You've got 16 of the best teams playing, but that's one tournament in the year. How do you get your national team or your tier two, your tier two, your second level players, your, 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 your B-side, if you will, how do you get them to play in, in, in big tournaments besides spending a lot of money traveling? Rugby Town Sevens is one of those tournaments where Perry mm -hmm. Baker, Madison Hughes, all those players played for the U.S. Falcons. So that's not even the Eagles right. side yet. They got seen. They played against international players from around the world. And then all of a sudden, they you know, obviously went on, on to, to great things. So um, as you mentioned, they'll continue to do that. And that is very exciting. And people need to remember that as well. Yeah. I know the next installment that they've got coming up is also that there is supposed to be, and that is if it still continues. Obviously, the coronavirus has changed the whole landscape of every sporting culture. Um, but I think it's August 15th was the date that is scheduled for USA versus Canada 15s. Um, and for those that aren't aware, um, I actually have recently taken the opportunity this season to be able to be a stadium announcer for the Raptors and subsequently will continue doing so um, with the Rugby Town events. Um, but it's great to be able to see that. I know, Rob, you wanted to be able to look like you may wanted to jump in there. Well, I, you know, you can't forget, too, Dale, if I'm not mistaken, and Ty, you may have uh, familiarity with this as well, but didn't the uh, Collegian Falcons uh, play one another in Rugby Town, uh, in rugby town um, two seasons ago in, the, in, in August? Yes, absolutely right. And, and that feeds right into their, their, their mantra is that they want to develop talent and, and, you know, having a place for that Collegian talent to converge and be seen – on a much higher stage, I think has a lot of value uh, for not only, um, you know, potential as potential Eagles and for USA rugby, but also for MLR. It's a great, a great place to be seen by uh, all of your coaches and GMs around the league. Yeah, absolutely. I know Scott, you had also spoken about the importance about making sure that we have US players continuing being fed into MLR. Um, so I'm sure you feel the same way. Oh, absolutely. And I think, it was the like we talked about timing. It was a little until they clarified in their state their statement in their questions when they were talked when they were talking to or being interviewed by Channel Nine. Um, a lot of fans were like, "What are they talking about? What do, what do they mean by by dealing with this lower level, the, this American style? They want to focus on the American rugby." And I think they clarified their statement. And and as the MLR was moving to um, increasing the level of international players. Uh, on, allowed on the field, um, it was a departure from what they wanted to do, um, and I think by building, having a central location to build these players, it will be easier for players to say, "Hey, 
Um, I want to go the sevens route. I want to go the international route of sevens. Go to go to Glendale. That's it. Go to Glendale. Get seen. Live there. Train there. And I think that's a perfect pathway for people. Yeah. One thing I also wanted to bring up, and again, this is just feeding some uh, some rumors. Uh, there's no real evidence behind it. Give you the disclaimer for everybody. Can you do that for me, <laughs> Scott? Later, there should be a disclaimer right here. <laughs> there we go. Rumor. All right. Good stuff. So uh, it could very well be that Infinity Park may still be a part of MLR. And now the way that I say that is it could be used as a neutral venue, maybe perhaps to replace the, uh, the Vegas weekend that they had tried. Um, it wasn't a rugby culture. It obviously timing wasn't right. The stadium had just moved. So why not choose an established facility with great production value that is rugby orientated uh, and is also pretty easily accessible for many fans? And doesn't have a pitch that bounces like a basketball court. <laughs> right, I know. I, I mean, that is still trending. That that try that like bounced twice, hit the post. I mean, well, a great legacy for MLR right one. there. <laughs> so in all, in all the years we've seen right, kicks that have, you know, direct kicks that ricochet off the uprights, that happens, but never yeah. on a bounce and on a second bounce, as you said. Right. And that was, but again, what, what a great game for the Free Jacks to make their entry into Major League Rugby 2. You know, I know, they it's like that they Vegas had the guard down and help them win. <laughs> So I think I'm gonna to have to. I'll have to debut the shirt then a little bit. So that's funny. Oh gosh, yeah. But you know, that's that's a cool thing to be able to make sure that you know such a strong rugby culture is staying apart, or may stay apart. I got to correct that. May very well be a part of major rugby because I think it's just, it's they're doing positive work. And if I can just sum it up and leave it as that, that's the important thing that I think we're trying to convey, that there's a lot of good work they've already done. There's a lot of negative feedback about from fans going, well, why'd they leave? I think it's short-sighted. But really, there's a lot of good work being done that and has been done. And the team that was on the field playing this season did a fantastic job to be able to get those last two wins, taking down Toronto Arrows against odds, which I'm very happy I was there to be able to see it. Um, so let's remember the best things about it and hope that there's even better things to come. This bowl represents a game we love. Rugby, a game filled with passion. But there is one who has no number, nor is he in the locker room or in the field of today. And he is there for every high and every low. He is watching every kick, every tackle, every dry score. For he is always there when you need him most. Because he is the Major League Rugby fan.
Well, rugby fans, once again, thank you for all the support you've given us here at the MLR Rants Podcast Show. So please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel, hit the bell icon for notifications, or follow us on social media. This has been presented by the MLR Fan Zone. Um, but I wanted to kind of, why I brought that up is that there was a rumor, and I don't know if either of you, any of you guys had heard this. We hadn't even spoke about this in the, the, the production thing before we did this. But apparently there was a rumor that the Gilgronis before, you know, sorry, the Austin uh, team, Austin Elite or Herd, whichever version they were at the time, had changed over to being Gilgronis, that there was a concerted effort by somebody, I don't know who it was, that it's going to be a team that we picked up and moved to Columbus, Ohio to replace the Aviators. Did any of you guys hear that? I did hear that. Um I didn't take it seriously um, right? because of the timing. I didn't think there was going to be a – they were in such a tumultuous ownership change. And, and you could see from, you know, not to talk bad about anybody, the, the team was great. The, the players were great. The coaching was great. But the organization, um, especially last season, just from the top down took a slide. And I think the only way you could come back from that is to stick with the basics. And the basics for them were they're an Austin team. They want to work with the Austin clubs, and while it was a rumor, I didn't think there was it, there was really anything to to base this rumor for sure. Yeah, I mean, I didn't find any evidence after that. I mean, Rob, did you hear anything? No, and it's interesting you bring this up because um, actually in the fall, um, the Austin Huns old boys came up to play my club that I played with, and uh, we're called the Fossils, but the Chicago Blaze old boys. Um, so I can <laughs> I I probably like a geriatric league, the Fossils, or what? Yeah. I, I am probably a fossil. Uh, so uh, my kids will attest to that, by the way. Um, that, that when I, I was really interested in chatting with those boys in the clubhouse after we had a training session and after the after the match. And I said, you know, give me the boots on the ground perspective of what's happening down there in Austin with, at that time, then the elite. And it, unequivocally, without uh, a doubt, every single person I asked that question to went, Oh, like it was a point of contention and frustration uh, amongst the rugby players in the Austin area. Um, they just had enough uh, and, and they had enough of the ownership because I think what happened is the ownership didn't end around in the development of that, of, of the elite. Um, and what's interesting is then when Austin wins that, that Texas uh, cup, uh, did you, anybody see the replay of all the Austin fans in a bar? Um, so no. because it was an away match for them was playing Houston and there was an Austin, um, you know, now Gilgroni bar and the place was packed and everybody was so excited. So clearly to me, there's been a change in culture. I agree with Scott. Keep going with what's working develop yeah. it and build on it. Rob, Rob, yeah, you absolutely. Spot, on, spot on there. I'll jump in. So I'm actually an Austin Hun alumni as well. So when, yeah. when my wife was at UT, you I was getting, getting, getting involved. Where, where in were you in the fall? I would have liked to have played you. No, no, this I didn't play for any fossil team. I'll, I'll give you that. I did play against their rival team, the Austin Blacks. Great club and a beautiful setup there. And what I will say about the Austin community, um, it's, it's a very tight community. And so the original idea behind the Austin elite was actually to use the Austin Huns as their team and use the same field at Nixon Lane. Um, but then, you know, as politics do and rugby things, some people have certain expectations, certain ideas, and things didn't quite work out. And whatever, whatever it has, I'm really 
proud to see that everybody's come together in that community and supporting the Gilgronies. Um, or who knows, they may even change their name next year. But again, the Austin Rugby's behind them, which is fantastic. The Gil Napolitans. <laughs> actually, this is how I know it. Those names were actually had a request to be trademarked. That's how serious it was. Really? Yeah. Oh, God. It's, it's, I don't know if it's pending now, if it's been passed. That'll be a conversation again for another day. With, with the Gil, Gilmapolitan, would you have to lift your pinky when you when you did your toast? I think it's a prerequisite, Rob. I mean, you don't look cool unless you're doing it that way, right? <laughs> but, you know, I think that it's great to be able to see that a team like Austin, who's obviously had his troubles, but has always had passionate fans, didn't manage to find a way to make it work at home for them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, not to, to, to kind of swing back around to Colorado Raptors again for too long, but that may also be a possibility down the road that they end up being bought and either they end up moving to another city, another location, or they may very well still operate from Infinity Park while renting the stadium from the city of Glendale. Well, I think that's one of the big holes we have in the MLR is that center, northern center of the country. Um, a lot of people talked about Chicago. Um, while I think Chicago is a great idea, I think they will run into the same thing that Rooney runs into, where is a place to play that is suitable, um, size expectations. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that um, because um, whenever Chicago comes up, of course, being being from Chicago, I uh, I get a little misty um, that we don't have a team. But there's actually a lot of options available. Uh, there might be have to play in a, in a baseball park in a little bit smaller uh, stadium, but don't forget. Um, that their SeatGeek Stadium um, is available down there in Bridgeview, which uh, they've successfully hosted the USA versus the Maoris uh, several years ago. Uh, and they've also hosted um, several other international matches, I believe involving England A. Uh, I know I went to a triple header there. And it's actually a, a very nice um, rugby facility. Sight lines are great. The field is the right size. Um, so that's a, a good option too. Um, and it's accessible via the airport and the highway, by the way. That's yeah. awesome. You could talk about, you know, what teams uh, or what cities would be good candidates for it. You know, there's a long list that keeps ever evolving on the fan zone group and the major league fan zone group. You know, there's names of like cities like Vancouver that's been thrown out there, Chicago, Kansas City. I mean, the. Oh, did we lose Ty? Looks like he's frozen. Looks like Ty froze a little bit. Okay, so I'll bring this up until Ty comes back. We expand. It's now 2030. Yeah. Do we go internationally to the islands? Jamaica has a team. You know, St. Lucia has a team. Almost, you know, they, they have a big cricket culture down there. And to get there is not that difficult versus going to, let's say, um, Europe or the Southern Hemisphere. Would you think that would be an option if we got big enough? Well, just I'll jump in. So we also have, don't forget, in South America, they're playing in their own competition. And so the, the next, I suppose, logical step would be to, you know, have the perhaps the Major League Rugby champion play their champion uh, or maybe have some of their teams join. Argentina sent a team to Super Rugby. Uh, they sent a team to South Africa to play in the Curry Cup. I do like the the developing the other nations, as you said, per, per se. But I suppose at the end of the day, what Super Rugby found out is that you want to keep the quality on the field as high as possible. And 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 there was creative that they had, 
you know, the Jaguars join and the Jaguars turned out to be one of the best teams, you know, playing in a final, everything else like that. And the Sunwolves had some really good moments as well. So it just has to be a fine balancing act, Scott, of how good are the teams? Uh, and I think you've got to probably start with the Argentina first or the South American uh, region there. Isn't uh, my concern with, with spreading out in that way would be uh, the ability for fans to travel. I mean, J Jamaica is an obvious destination that people love to visit for the sun and, and the beaches and everything else. But um, I think what's happening in the league so far has been really great in terms of um, Seattle, their, their uh, rugby 100 club really traveled well. They traveled um, down to San Diego. They traveled down to Utah. They did a really nice job getting a core of fans to travel to away matches. And I got the sense as we started to see the East Coast teams have some home matches. Again, my apologies to Scott. You guys never had the pleasure of getting one this season. But you saw uh, fans from Atlanta travel up to D.C. and vice versa. You saw a few fans travel to, to Atlanta from NOLA uh, and vice versa. So um, I, I, I'm wondering if the, the, they shouldn't be careful about that. Uh, approach with a little bit of, of, of – Maybe you make a, a, that three-conference – thing where you say yeah. east west and south and then you have the islands you have you know south american teams central american teams play in their own conference just a thought uh we have ty back hi ty hey thanks apologies i don't know what happened with my internet there obviously i'm technologically disadvantaged but i hope you guys didn't say anything mean about me while i was away <laughs> No, no, we we were we were lost without you though. But we did we did switch gears and probably getting on to our final topic uh, of the of the combo. I just wanted to be able to make a dramatic re-entrance, you know. That's right. <laughs> but uh, I think that it's. I mean, if we've now felt that we've stayed the course on this topic, now that you know it's important to be able to move on to the next big one, which is the reveal of the Major League Rugby draft. Now, I will say on behalf of myself and Dallin. We are both not familiar with this. We both grew up watching rugby in South Africa. And uh, so I'm probably going to allow Rob and Scott to be able to take the lead on this. So uh, I'll hand it over to you boys. Well, I'm, I'm just going to jump Rob real quick. So we're having a collegiate draft. There's going to be four rounds. So each team is going to be allowed to make four selections. They're going in reverse order of standings. And to be eligible for this collegiate draft, um, the player must have played U.S. collegiate rugby um, in the year, the one year preceding. Those dates are June 13th, 2019 to June 12th, 2020, and uh, must have completed three years of college or at least be 21 years of age. Um, so there is no one and done like there is in collegiate United States basketball. And there is a little asterisk um, in this year's draft. Canadian collegiate players are not entered. While they can sign up so that they can get some MLR interest, there will be no um, Canadian collegiate players eligible for the draft. I wonder what the rationale for that was from the league. Probably visa issues and COVID issues, maybe. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you bring up an interesting point there is travel issues. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. Obviously, we're living in a pretty messed up world at the moment. Yeah. Good reason that sporting has been shut down. You know, all of that I agree with. It's now the reality we live in. But I wouldn't be surprised if this has lingering effects in sport where visas will be slowed down. There's nobody processing anything in the offices anymore. Um, and to a point where it may affect hiring and, and sourcing new players, international players, either it be to be able to renew visas or to be able to apply for new visas. 
that it could be a way of mitigating some of those uh, those issues that are headed their way with the MLR draft. I mean, let's face it, that was a point of frustration for a lot of fans this season in particular. You had some players that we had a pretty high expectation would be coming in uh, on game one, um, and the Beast comes to mind, um, and Ione comes to mind out there in Colorado, right. along with Renee Ranger. Yeah, and, um, you know, even even it was kind of interesting, and, and I can't remember if we had an exchange tie last year or, or Scott, um, but when uh, – when Nick Feeks, um, interestingly, had been starting in the wing for NOLA um, for several games, and all of a sudden he was absent and not injured uh, when they traveled up to Toronto. And as it turns out, it was due to visa issues as he transferred from a student visa to a, to a work visa, or to a sporting work visa. Uh, and so, you know, if, if it was difficult over the last two seasons, we can only imagine what it's going to be after we return to play. Yeah, uh, well, I can tell you from my own personal experience, my own migration to the US. It's quite difficult, boys. <laughs> and, and Ty, I'll, I'll add to that as well. So um, I know one of the lawyers, in fact, uh, he helped me uh, become a uh, get my visa to come to the US as well back in the day. And he was telling me that he had, I think it was like 50 successful applications in a row for Major League Rugby. And he would send me the letters sometimes to be an expert witness, if you will. And so I signed the Beast letter and I did a few others, which is which was uh, personally really cool. You know, to check out their resume, like, oh, I know who's coming to the league next I year. I hold your fate in my hands. Yes, correct, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but the but the tricky part is that then I also knew there were several players' names that I was like, well, why aren't they playing right now? I'm like, their letters yeah. have been signed, their theme is submitted, and what happened? Apparently, they get to immigration and. The recently in the last year and a half or so, the immigration has been like, well, hold on. Why does the team need somebody of your caliber? Because there is no, you know, they don't even know about the sport. So they were like, well, you've played internationally. The team doesn't need you is what the, the immigration people would sometimes say, which is absolutely bizarre, right? This and is you don't want to start an argument with the CPB. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> chaos all around. But yeah, well, getting back to the draft. Um, yeah. So the, the way it works is, is, Generally, it, it will go through NFL standards. Um, the way the NFL does their draft is they invite players, collegiate players, to what's called a combine. They have them run a specific set of drills. Um, there's specific markers they're looking for. Um, Tom Brady comes to mind. He has the famous picture of him with his dad bod. Uh, his hands weren't big enough, this, that, and the other thing. Rob, Rob's shaking his head. He understands. Yeah. Um, then from there – because I have a dad bod, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, from there, players who weren't invited to the draft um, can can either work out with the teams individually or have what's called a pro day where the teams come look at them and they run something outside of what happens in the combine. Um, there's also psychological tests, background tests, as has become important with the Aaron Hernandez trial. Um, questions. Uh, I mean, some of the questions they ask, Rob knows yeah. it's, it's You know, here's a funny story. I, I love this one a team, and I want to say it was Miami Dolphins was interviewing a quarterback and they basically gave their playbook to the quarterback and said, look, take this for a couple of weeks, uh, come back to us. We're going to ask you questions and talk to you a bit about what's in the playbook, right? You know where I'm going with this guy. Um, and so when they, when they brought him back, um, they said, uh, they, they asked him a question about a hundred dollar bill in, in the back of the playbook. And as it turns out, they stuck a hundred dollar bill somewhere in the playbook and what they were really trying to find out is if A, he was honest enough to tell them that he found a $100 bill in there, and B, if he found it, that meant he went all the way through the playbook and was actually paying attention to what they wanted him to do. And if he didn't, that told them something too. So it's a, a, the psychological interplay is, is kind of interesting in the NFL. 
And using all those markers, they then have what's called their draft board. Now you have to realize, you know, there are 117 Division One uh, collegiate football teams right, plus yeah. championship level plus Division Two plus Division Three. Although guys rarely get drafted out of Division Three, so their draft board, you know, times 30 teams, 32 teams. Their draft board has hundreds of players. I'm going to assume the draft board for most of the teams are regional. Um, I don't know how much Greg McWilliams has been able to go somewhere to recruit somebody or even get enough tape. You know, the, I don't I don't know how much the guy leaving his house. Um, I would assume the Rooney offices in New York are shut down. So what I think is you're going to have a lot of coaches and a lot of GMs are really working off word of mouth. You know, they know somebody at Iona College that has been playing great. You know, they're up for an award. They've seen some tape. Boom, he's on the draft board. It's a need. Yeah, um, I, I really, so, you know, let me ask you just to be able to jump in there. What existing infrastructure or uh, a way of identifying these places is does exist already? I mean, there's the all American like tryouts, the you know, there's what, what platform is there for these guys to be noticed? So if I could jump in, I think one thing that's that and it this year, I don't know how much of a role it's going to play. But FTF, um, I just became aware of that app and I installed it. Um, and, and my son goes to Linenwood and plays at Linenwood. Um, he's a sophomore. Uh, and I was able to catch some Linenwood games, um, some other uh, games from a variety of conferences, the Liberty Conference, uh, on FTF. So there is tape and uh, there is the ability for coaches under the current you know, COVID situation to actually pick up and watch some of these players uh, play some quality rugby. Uh, and that, that – Iona is a great example. They're, they've had several games on uh, ESPN Plus, which has been a great platform. So I think those things exist. And carrying forward into future uh, drafts, I think a lot more of that infrastructure will continue to be used moving forward. Yeah. I mean, doesn't it become more important now if this becomes a staple in rugby in the U.S. is that the draft system is there to focus on, you know, grooming players from, you know, earlier in their career, you know, whether it be middle school and high school, you know, and whatever you can do. I mean, obviously that might be an, another conversation. We could dig into that for an hour in its own way. Yeah. I'm sure we can agree that, you know, they need to clearly identify what's their path to getting there. Well, I think right now, the, because we have so many players playing collegiate ball, that the draft is the way to go. I am totally in favor of starting an academy system here if we can. Right. Um, but because it's we don't have the resources in youth rugby, um, we don't have the the cohesion that the European system has. Um, we just have to. I think we stick with the collegiate draft. And to be honest, again, most United States sports professional sports teams draft a player, and he has never worked with the organization before. He has never worked with the coaches before. So really, you're as soon as you draft him, you start molding him at age 21 or age 20. So I don't think it's a bad thing right now to go with mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And, and, sorry, okay. if I could say, um, and, and it slipped my mind, what's the Rudy Schultz Award, is that the, is that the mm -hmm. best collegiate player in America? Yeah. You know, there's we had several players up for that award, and I know there were two players from Linenwood. One of them, Steve McLeish, a good, good mate of my son's. I mean, um, a question was brought up on the Facebook page, like, why would a kid travel to L.A. for a tryout or whatever have you? But but I know that there are there are kids in spite of um, what what um, limitations there are in terms of finances for a young man to travel and try out. Um, the prospect of playing pro rugby is enough at this level 
uh, for kids at least to want to pursue and see where it takes them. And let's not forget that a lot of these, you know, in New York comes to mind, there has got to be some some um, sponsors, people involved with New York and some of the, uh, the, the teams that are in big cities that have the ability to take a kid and go, okay, you have a finance background or you have an, a graphic design background. We can find an employer for you that can fill in some of those gaps uh, in what, you know, you're going to make at 15 or $12,000 playing for, you know, pro rugby, but they're going to be able to adapt to the schedule and they're going to be able to provide you with a little bit of other lucrative monetary support um, in your chosen profession coming out of college. Yeah, you would hope so, of course. And there is such a, a broader network that is involved with all of these teams that you have these resources that you can lean upon. You know, and one of the comments that came up in the group with this whole MLR draft scenario is what is the likelihood of a player being able to move across the country, set himself in a new town, and be able to earn a livable wage? So you address some of those points there quite nicely, Rob. But I think ultimately, if it were me, and I was 21 years old, and I told that I was told I had the opportunity to play professional rugby, I'd be there. You know, <laughs> and uh, no matter what, I mean, at that time in your life, you're in the best possible position to make that that choice. And let's not forget, too, I think we have some examples of kids that have done that already. I mean, again, I'm more familiar simply because of my association with Linenwood and they they have a quality program, um, you know, uh, like a, like a Chance Wegalewski. Now, of course, he was he's already a capped U.S. player, but, you know, he had family in Atlanta. And that was one of the reasons why he went to Atlanta, because there was an there was a, a family infrastructure there for him to lean on um, that allowed him to dedicate um, his time to playing. Um, and, uh, you know, um, Nick Feeks is down there in New Orleans, both he and his girlfriend have moved down to New Orleans, but Nick in his first year, uh, lived with Taylor Howden. So there was an, there are infrastructures there. I just don't know that the common fan is aware of what, what exists, but they do right. exist. And I think people need to understand that, 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 that it's there. Teams work hard to provide uh, a rationale for, for, for boys to come and play. Also, yeah. what, what I will say, Ty, you know, uh, back in the day here, rugby in the U.S., you had to go overseas to play, you know, at a competitive right. level, a professional level. And this is why Major Rugby is just so exciting and, and why everyone is jumping on board saying, well, when when will this translate? And this is a topic for another day into success at the national international level in 15 a side game. We've seen it in the sevens and that's fantastic for the men and the women, but for 15s, how soon will we see the US compete with the top 10 teams in the world? And not just a team that, that you know, like, like the Scottish victory against Scotland in 2018 was amazing. But again, that wasn't every single uh, starter for the Scottish side. It was more of their side that was traveling to North America and getting experience, a lot of younger players. And so um, it really is exciting. You're a college student, you get a chance to play professional rugby, uh, get on with it, that's sensational. And I just yeah, want to make absolutely. the um, the way the current salary cap is set up, because you can go and and Rooney rents houses for many of their players, so that way they can all one live together to get a, a unit cohesion. But two, it kind of eases the burden financially for them. They can then go and be a part time player. You know, Connor Wallace Sims. Everybody is watching him play the virtual MLR, and they can't believe the view from his apartment in Chelsea. Well, he has a successful career outside of rugby, and he's a professional rugby player. And being in a city like New York, being in in Austin, being in New Orleans gives you that that center where, yes, I can be a professional athlete and I can still be successful outside of that and make a livable wage. Let's not forget, like I know here in Illinois, we have Rugby Illinois. It's an existing structure and they have paid positions where and and um, we've had a couple guys come from the UK and come from South Africa that, that have 
like like uh, both Ty and Alan have come here to live and be permanently here in the United States that have filled those roles. But you know how great would it be to be a you know a collegiate player coming out of a top level uh, program, uh, have an education background, and being able to apply that education background into the coaching element, get paid by a union. You 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 automatically draw young fans to that team that you play for. They have a connection to the local team now because. The guy that's playing on the field on Saturday night is the same guy that's teaching you how to play or working with you as a young player. And how great is that to the development of rugby in the United States? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all make like, you know, the the assumption that, you know, these guys do want to be able to play. And I think it's fair to be able to say that. And they'll do so under whatever conditions possible. Yeah. But they're getting as much support as possible along the way. And there are a lot of ways to be able to do it. So really the MLR drop, is perhaps the next possible and next logical step to being able to bridge the gap between college rugby and professional rugby in the US. And for that reason alone, it's an important facet of the league as it will grow. And I hopefully see it as a permanent fixture. Now, obviously, when it happens, which I think is in June 13th and 14th was the dates that I read, um, run me through and maybe already touched on it, but you know, I wanted to kind of resonate with everybody that's watching. So how does the draft essentially work in terms of the standings? Who gets the pick? So it's reverse order, reverse order standing. So the last, the person in last place, the team in last place gets the first pick. Um, in the NFL, there's like a two minute or a 10 minute time limit. Um, obviously in the NFL, there's a lot of trades because you can trade players and trades draft picks um, to move up to get a player you want. I don't necessarily see that being a issue. Um, I don't think we have enough players or enough infrastructure to do trades. So I think it's just going to be straightforward. The last place team gets the first pick. The next place team has 10 minutes to place the pick or, or they can consequently lose the pick if they don't make it in a timely ma uh, manner. And it just keeps moving on. And, and once you get to the top, so once San Diego makes their pick, then it goes back down to the bottom of the list. And the first pick in round two goes back down to the person who was in last place. It's very simple. So just to clarify, though, you're saying the person in last place, which is based on the 2020 standings. Correct. This time, on the first occasion, Dallas and L.A. will actually have first pick because they haven't competed yet. It looks like they would. Um, that's generally the expansion teams will have first pick. Now, who gets the first pick between them? I'm not right. sure. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the difficult one there, and I guess they'll figure it out as they as they go along as as much of the things in the league, right? Don't forget that I think you're going to find those teams are are going to be looking at the the rosters that they they built next season and the exhibition season, right? And they're going to be figuring out what holes they need to fill. So there's plenty of players at the top level programs, you know, Life and Linwood and Cal and and St. Mary's, and they're going to look for positions of need, you know. Do we have depth at the center position? Do we have depth at scrum half? So that'll dictate a little bit too. Yeah, it would, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that being the second pick is going to be that problematic. Well, right. um, what you're trying to say, Rod, if I, if I understand it correctly, is not necessarily that they'll be competing for the same position. Right. You know, it's, as you say, they, they figure out what their needs are. Right. And, and what I think will be interesting too is will this element, we talk about the expense for a, a young player out of college to be able to go to another city, perhaps where they don't have family. So, you know, will the job prospects play a role? Um, will the, you know, a willingness of a player to travel play a role in who they pick? Because in the NFL draft, prior to the draft, 
one of the hallmarks is that players that are are of interest to a team they visit the facility they have a private workout uh, a lot of times they go through those we talked about that interview process the rigorous exam uh, they use the the wonderlick test i believe for quarterbacks um you know uh that's all part of determination of do we want to pick this player and i think part of that conversation is you know we have a we have a job um, availability for you. We have something in, in your area of study in which you can gain valuable work experience and also play professional rugby. And that might also impact how they draft too. So hypothetically speaking, let's imagine that a player is chosen for rugby ATL that, you know, his first pick, his choice might've been Nola. Does he have the, he has the first right of refusal, but then let's say, I mean, you take a risk. What if Nola didn't actually want him? Yeah. Well, what, what have I have, I've heard, I'm going to put the, the rumors up here. <laughs> yeah. I believe they, they, they have, they have the right to refuse it. But if, if they don't, I, I forgot what the timing was before another team can go and sign the player. I, oh, I okay. think somebody said it was like a year, they have a year to sign with the team that drafted them. Again, this is what I've heard. Um, so if it's June to June and they don't pick up a contract, before MLR starts next season in February, you know they might be beholden to that team that drafted them, and we'll have to wait till the next season before they're considered a quote unquote free agent. Now that was just a, a rumor I've heard around. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. an interesting prospect because you know one of the one of the dangers of that for a player that um, in, in the NFL is is that if they come out and declare for the draft, then they can't go back and revert back to college, right? Um, so, the, so the danger is you have to sit out of here, and that's where the trade element comes in, is that the threat that a team has a player that isn't willing to play for them, so they're looking to trade that player. Uh, the MLR takes on a completely different level because now that player can go and play for a men's club, you know, perhaps mm -hmm. where they come from. If there's a strong men's club, a D1 men's club, they can go play. They don't miss out on an opportunity to play. They can still hone their skills and wait till the following season. Uh, my question is, because Mike Friday put out a tweet and kind of fired a shot across the bow there. Dallin's laughing. He knows what I'm talking about. And I didn't really understand it of the fine print. Um, so I don't know maybe if, if Dallin, do you know what the fine print he was talking about for these collegiate players? I don't know the fine print, but what I will read into it in that he probably is concerned that a player puts their hand up and is contracted with the major rugby side, not able to then to compete in the seven aside game for the US, you know, and that sort of stuff. So I, I, I do think and hear Mike is, is often quite outspoken, which is, you know, sometimes great to hear what he has to say uh, in that regard. And so there is a fine balance too, right? Because the national sevens team is of vital importance with the Olympic games and the sevens world series as well. Um, and so I suppose in my mind, I would like to see him having a, a check too to see which players he wants to pull in his program that he can contract for the year and, and see how that works. Um, and then, then of course, the player has a choice if they want to choose the sevens or if they want to go to 15s. Doesn't that already kind of exist, though? I mean, I, I get Mike's point, and it's a fair point, by the way. I mean, we want to continue. The sevens team has been incredibly successful over the last four years. But um, doesn't he already kind of have a pipeline of players that are in the works, Dallin, where um, there are guys that are earmarked um, you know, that that he knows are going to be developmental at the very least for him? 
Yeah, so he he does have a group, and and that's why San Diego had added a, you know a bunch of new names to their roster, you know, uh, because they were training at Chula Vista, and they were the 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 the, the I suppose you can call it the Academy Seven side, right? The Falcons who are getting ready for uh, if anybody got injured in the World Series. But the tricky part is then, let's say I get a contract and I go to play in Rooney. I'm far away, so I can't be training with the seven side, and I'm playing in the 15s. You're more likely to stay in that setup unless you're a player that wanted to be on the World Series, right? So the, you do have challenges in that. Not everybody's going to be available. Um, and Nick Fix is like a good example, right? So, you know, I, I don't know his setup, and I don't know how many times he got an opportunity to to go down and and, uh, and if he was even eligible to play for the U.S. But if he was, he'd be a player. You'd say, cool, come down and train with us. But then you'd have to play for San Diego if he wanted to keep playing on the weekends 15s, you know? Yeah. And maybe that figures into the free agent component of it too. You know, his yeah. contract is up and he, he knows Mike is interested in bringing him into the side or at least developing him. And then that might figure into, you know, where he goes into the 15 aside match in the meantime. And just to expand on that, we had Mikey Teo, who was a part-timer for San Diego to, to do that exactly. So I wonder if somebody coming in and getting drafted, not getting a full-time contract for San Diego to be a per diem to sit, in the future, if the if the draft is, this, if, is what we're doing, maybe they're losing out and they feel like, hey, we got to sign all these guys to full-time contracts because we're going to lose them for half the season if they want to have aspirations on sevens. Yeah, that's a fair point, you know, and all of these things will evolve. I mean, right now, it's just one step in the right direction, but there is obviously a ripple effect across uh, rugby in the U.S., so it will remain to be seen how it plays out. You know, I'm actually also curious, as you guys are talking about, you know, with the Olympics being postponed to 2021 and if the dates of the MLR stays they were this year, there's going to be an overlap potentially uh, into June. Um, I wonder, you know, if the calendar, I mean, it's probably a conversation for another day, it just popped into my head, whether the calendar for MLR will change next for next year as well, either because it, a lot of teams don't get to play because they're, you know, under snow, um, or just the timing doesn't work out because I can tell you while 2020 has been a disappointing year for sports fans across the board, it is going to be probably the best year ever for 2021. <laughs> you can only hope so, right? We need that. Yeah. But guys, you know, we're over the hour mark now by a little bit. So I wanted to kind of just recap a few of the things we had spoken about. If I can get a final thought from uh, everyone in regards to the topics, uh, the first of which I'll throw out to you, Scott, which is talking about the exit of Colorado Raptors. Um, what's your sentiments there? Listen, Colorado has to do what's best for Colorado. If their mission statement isn't in line with the mission statement of the MLR, that's fine. They did the right thing. I wish them luck. I hope their players, a lot, all the good ones come to Rooney, obviously. Um, <laughs> succeed in the MLR, all those players um, that were on Colorado. And that's it. Excellent. Rob? Yeah, I, I just think we can't be short-sighted. This, this is a short-term problem. It's a, it's a blip in the road, as Dalen brought up uh, very appropriately. You know, it's part of the growing vein process. The MLR has just got to – what they need to do, in my opinion, is resolve the problem – come out with a united front about how they're going to get past it moving into the next season and move forward, and it's no longer an issue. Right. Excellent. Yeah, it's, it's bigger and better things ahead for sure. 
Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, as we spoke about earlier, the, the league's going to be fine. They're going to be new teams coming in. It was really exciting. Um, and and in a way, this could be a great opportunity for, you know, that region to expand their rugby. And, and the Raptors are definitely, they have the finances and the, 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 the planning to make that a success. And, you know, there'll be plenty of rugby there to be played and a lot of youngsters coming through, which will benefit Magic Rugby in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there's so many great positives and it depends on what you're, which angle you're looking at. You know, you mentioned it's about perspective, but I think that ultimately, you know, if, if philosophically they couldn't decide, you know, both of them are going to go on to do great things and we should support them both for doing that. Yeah. Alan, I'm going to throw it back to you now. And uh, what are your thoughts in regards to the expansion teams? Um, obviously, there's a lot of rumors flying around, but how can you sum it up? Yeah, I love I love the East and West Coast conferences. They need to keep the conference system if possible. Uh, the home and away fixture is brilliant uh, against your rivals. And I love that you play everybody as well outside of your conference. That's fantastic. I do, uh, I, I do have a concern, of course, of any teams joining. How much preseason will they get? How many games will they be able to be to play? Because that was the big thing we noticed about the new sides, as everyone said, is that having those practice games is vital. Um, so that's, that's going to be a challenge uh, for next year for sure. Yeah. Rob, over to you, man. Again, a short-term problem. They'll get past it. Um, you know, resolve it for next season, the schedule, and and allow those teams to mature and grow just like every other team that you bring in. Um, don't change your format. Go forward and move on. So just to clarify, you're saying stick with the uh, West and East Conference. Stick with the West and East Coast and topic for another conversation, but I think it opens up great possibilities for uh, all-star opportunities. Right, absolutely. I mean, in the West versus East conference, uh, you know, game, all-star game for sure. But again, as you said, definitely a topic for another day. Scott, over to you, the big guy. Uh, love the format. Keep the format. I think we're doing steady as she goes, little by little with the additions. Um, you know, I, I can I can deal with two expansion teams coming in in one season. But again, I'm with Dallin about the um, preparation time. But again, slow and steady, steady as she goes. I like where we're headed. Excellent. But just to confirm, all of us in agreement that there shouldn't be a third team that's fast-tracked to be able to fill that spot for Colorado Raptors, right? Excellent. Nope. Well, that sounds good. The final uh, thing that we spoke about, which of course is the MLR draft. So, you know, final thoughts, comments there, Scott. I'll throw it back to you to start it off again. Um, I like that we're using the pipeline we have with collegiate players to get them in the MLR. I think that's something to wrap around back to the Colorado statement about American players is going to help American players transition to MLR. Um, we already have that pipeline in the future. I do want to see the Academy set up like they do have elsewhere, but right now we got to use what we got. Excellent. Yeah. Rob over to you. Yeah. I like the idea of a draft and let's face it. All, all leagues want to be relevant 12 months out of the year. And for uh, the MLR, this is a way to, keep some relevancy because now they can parlay the draft into, you know, like we said, uh, uh, a, a working out with a team, you know, this player, that player worked out with a team or, uh, you know, we're going to have a combine or we can do a whole lot of other things built around the draft process. And it keeps the MLR in the topic of conversation, which is important, especially with the uh, shortened season. Excellent. Yeah. Great points there. Dallin. I'll keep it short. Like my haircut. Um, it, it's, uh, it is really exciting for the young players. We'll, we'll see the details that come out, right? Again, I don't know too much about the, the draft. We spoke about Mike Friday's concern about the sevens program. Um, so we'll wait and see, but I think it is, is an, a, a nice uh, uh, extra that the league has added as well. Right, absolutely. You know, it's bringing in players into the league that might not necessarily have had the opportunity to be spotted. So it can only be a great thing. And uh, now I just also want to be able to take an opportunity 
We've spoken a lot here. I hope that everybody who's viewing and watching along with us has enjoyed what we say together. Of course, it's all just our opinions. And uh, we hope that you've enjoyed your time with us and learned a little bit of something along the way. And uh, this has been a part of our very first broadcast of what we had deemed as the MLR rant. And uh, it'll be posted, of course, uh, in the Major League Rugby Fan Zone group. So make sure you look out for those uh, links. Uh, alternatively, I know you, the big guy, Scott, you're online all the time. You've got your own stuff going on. You want to tell us a little bit about that as well? Sure. Uh, I run the fan club for Rooney, obviously. We have our Facebook page, Facebook group. I have Rooster Booster time a couple times a week where I'm either interviewing fans or interviewing the players. Um, I've been doing um, some virtual content with the virtual MLR where uh, I steal their stream and then I commentate over it because I can't deal with uh, with Pete and Dan. <laughs> borrow, borrow, not steal. Yeah, borrow. <laughs> I borrow. Um, and I just try and keep an online presence and, and love dealing with the fans. So if you guys want to speak about Rooney, Come contact me, go in the group, and we can have the discussions. Excellent. Rob? So uh, I'm, I'm the purveyor of uh, Hammer Rugby, and, and traditionally I pick up my show uh, starting about three weeks before the start of the season, uh, talking about changes in rosters and how we expect teams to play given the new element. It should be super interesting when we start 2021 uh, because, of course, the draft will be a whole new element and uh, bring a whole new uh, uh, a different angle from which to take uh, hammer rugby. So I look forward to the opportunity to do that and reconnect uh, with the fans. Uh, so for right now, I guess we'll just have to watch reruns and, and replays and, uh, and hopefully right. Dallin and, and Ty will be out there on the airways and we'll be able to, um, you know, listen to their uh, melodic yeah. voices. I know. It's not as if we've given enough opportunity for Dallin to get his voice out there. We gave him one more platform. But, you know, we love what you do, man. I just love the fact that you come up with the most original phrases in rugby that are so comical. And obviously, you do a great job of showing your personality and doing what you do. Um, and, of course, for those who don't know, you are, of course, a commentator, not only at the MRR level, but also in the Seventh Circuit. Uh, where else can we see you? Yeah, so um, if I'm not commentating right now, my neighbors doing just random yeah. things like bringing the groceries in, uh, I'm going to be launching a new podcast soon with a, a friend of mine who played uh, Sevens for Canada. So that will be released uh, hopefully in the next week or two. I'll give you guys more information about that. Um, but outside of that, my handle is uh, at the rugby corner. And uh, yeah, just to look forward to to having a few more chin wags with you guys. And of course, getting a better haircut. The missus had a little shot at this and it's yeah. a big fail. I don't know. It's very. I said, I said short back in size. And that exactly what happened. I'm going to send it to her and see how the result is. <laughs> That's just showing all of, it, all of itself, right? Verity, Verity cuts hair. Verity explains. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, you're the purveyor of talent too. I think you've got something there. Man, you know, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure everybody that watches this, hopefully, will find some value in what we do. But ultimately, we do it because we love it. We do it because it feels a passion. You know, none of us are taking a cent for doing this. We just enjoy what we do. And I'm pretty sure people will see that. It'll come across the screen that way. Yeah. Guys, thank you very much. We'll sign off and uh, stay tuned for the next opportunity to see when the next video will be on the MLR Fan Zone group. For the rest of the gang, that's Scott, you got Rob, Dallin, myself, Ty Braga. Thank you very much. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.